I'm not going to say so much as I'm currently reading it right now. <laughs> but you are going to read it to us, right? Are you going to edit that out? Yeah. You may or may not. For a story's sake. Update on the Jetpack Man, which is just coming out recently. They are saying that, well, the news articles, this is breaking news as of now when we're reading this. Well, not breaking, breaking. It's actually fairly pressing and fast on Journey to the Fringe standards. Yeah. Videos and photos released by the Los Angeles Police Department may have solved the mystery regarding at least one of the sightings of the LAX Jetpack Man. These people have reported, they have reported this. Can you see it? Yeah. Basically what we just saw in the video is a escaped Jack Skellington balloon that is lifted into the air. I don't know if everyone is familiar with the balloons that you can get of literally anything now um, for birthday parties and stuff like that. This is clearly a Jack Skellington balloon floating through the air. It was picked up by a helicopter in November 2020, I believe they said. Actually, I'm not even sure if that coincides with this. I don't think it does. I don't think it does either. And now that I'm saying it, they may just be trying to explain it away, to be honest with you, because... This, what we just saw, clearly looks like a Jack Skellington balloon. It does, and they did not show any video or photographs of it much higher than a building. No, they did And he was recorded somewhere between three and 6,000 feet. So they're a little close. September 2020 is when the Jetpack Man was spotted over LAX. And why this is servicing almost more than a year later is beyond me, but it just seems like they're trying to explain it away, which to me makes it a little bit more mysterious. Like, why are they trying so hard to explain it away with footage that is from a year ago but yeah that's pretty and much all i have on the update is just they spotted a jack skellington balloon that they think was misidentified as the jetpack man yeah and it does at least match the vertical description that they gave of the jetpack man it does it i mean it but does. at the same time like it's much bigger than a human. What it, I just saw as a human person that has no pilot skills other than wanting to land in the Gobi Desert because sand seems softer than grass. That's a reference to our mundane cryptid episode, by the way. <laughs> I can identify that. Like, just looking at that, it looked like a Jack Skellington balloon. And, and just so you know, that's actually a reference to this episode with the airports. <laughs> Yeah, it's also an ep. It's okay. Loaded. It's a loaded. We talk reference. about Mongolia a lot. <laughs> it's a loaded reference, but just me as a human person with no pilot skills looks at that and thinks, "Okay, that looks like probably a balloon." It might be because they're telling me that it's a Jack Skellington balloon, but it did look like a balloon just floating there. And the thing with pilots, as always, is that they are trained to be observing things in the sky and threats. I don't know if pilots are. Uh, trained to observe threats in the air. I mean, probably. it depends on what kind of pilot you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So we don't know about these particular pilots, but they're seeing someone in a jetpack. Pilots are trained to know these things, right? So you would think they might be like, it might be a balloon. It might be a person. Again, they give no further details than that. That's what uh, I got. If you are to Google Jetpack Man LAX right now, all you're going to find are articles. Well, the first few are going to be all articles saying that they have identified the Jetpack Man as a Jack Skellington balloon. 
So this has come out in the last week or so as of the day that we're recording. And we're actually pretty close to recording and releasing dates. So yeah. look at you guys. So informed. Which is, <laughs> which is weird because why is it weird? What is weird? I had something to say about the jetpack man and the balloon guy and it being weird. I it just weird. lost my train of thought. It is weird. It is weird. That was the thought. Yeah. Good thought, Chelsea. Weird. Thank you. <laughs> That's all I had. But yeah, like I'm saying, <laughs> that is all you'll find right now. But as you can go back and listen to in our Air Kings and Paranormal Things episode, timelines don't match up at all. If you watch the videos of yep. the released balloons, they are nowhere near 3,000 feet or 6,000 feet in the air. And again, this spans a much broader range of time than this one balloon. I don't feel accepting of this. And it feels like they're just trying to explain away. It's almost like they kind of found out what the jetpack man was. And so they're pushing an alternate. I mean, I wouldn't go that far. I think it's just them saying, oh, look at look at this simple answer. Yeah. Take it or don't take it. We are just offering the information that they are giving you an answer. And telling you it is all lies. Yeah. Don't trust it. We're not lying to you, though. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, I look forward to the next sighting of the Jetpack Man. Most importantly, sorry, one more thing I did want to add. Those balloons do not stay inflated for that long. It's like <laughs> 72 hours that they'll stay inflated. Oh, yeah. Um. They, I mean, you pay a lot of money for those and they come uninflated so quickly. But yeah, I don't accept this. Well, I it's because they're filled with helium gas and we subsidize helium to a, a very unhealthy level to the point where we're going to run out of helium soon. And it's actually has very necessary uses in both industrial and medical practices. Helium? So, yeah. Because doctors need to entertain people by making their voice high? Yeah, and then you giggle in the MRI machine, and that's how they get the lungs. You feel comfortable. We're <laughs> just gonna, we're just gonna ease you in the MRI from being too scary by making your voice higher. Yeah, it's psychology. It's like you're in a Disney cartoon. <laughs> okay. Please start trying to sing Chipnucks. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's all I had on my update. Okay. And well, with that. We shall start the episode? Yeah, I think so. I don't have any great way to start, so let's just do it now. Okay. From the unexplained to the mundane, why don't you come join us on our journey to the fringe? Now, privacy and secrecy are two different things. Privacy is locking the bathroom door where you want to take a pee. Secrecy, on the other hand, is locking the door because what you are doing in a bathroom isn't what people usually do. And sometimes, uh, after privacy has had a few drinks, he might decide he wants to spend the night with the secrecy just to explore their relationship. But where can they be together without people peeking in through the curtains? Hello, and welcome <laughs> to Journey to the Fringe, the podcast which one audio editor described the intro to as good enough. It is. I am Taylor, your host, <laughs> along here with the listener on today's episode, Chelsea. That's me. For those of you keeping score at home, those are the same listener and speakers as have been in every episode to this point. Yeah. And we'll be continuing Hopefully. with for the going forward, except that one where you were the special guest. Me? Yeah, don't you remember Aren't that? I always the special guest? Just that one episode. Oh, okay. But who knows what our special guest will be in the future. 
True. Today, we finally decided to chip away at those episodes that we often allude to coming into the future, but so far have never delivered. The future is now. Future is now. And in the case mm-hmm. of when you're listening to this, it gets really weird. And then it'll <gasps> be the past again. Yeah. that would At be least weird. in how we perceive it. Again, we do have to do an episode on time at some point. I don't know if I've ever actually mentioned that, but I do want to do an episode on time. Time. Yeah, time you mentioned is... it to me. Maybe not yeah. just not on the episodes. Well, at this point, I have mentioned it to you all, and now you know. Hold us accountable. Yeah. Make us do it. But because we have done so much paranormal in the last little while, I thought it was a good time to take a break from that and go into the monotonous portion of what's considered the fringe topics. And we are going to talk about offshore corporations and tax havens, particularly. (laughs) Yay! Particularly... (laughs) The Panama Papers. We might offshoot a little bit from there just because there's a lot of offshoots you can go with this one. You're probably mm-hmm. going to ask a lot I of questions. So. I'm probably going to have to say that I did not decide to explore that avenue in this episode. I always have a lot of questions and sometimes they're not relevant. That's okay. Sometimes but you just repeat the same one do. over and over. I do. I've found that out in listening to our old episodes. <laughs> but Whoops. thankfully, we're not privatizing space in this episode. So we can move on straight from that one. Or maybe just keep bringing it up. We'll see. How I've we're decided... growing as humans. <laughs> How I have decided to structure this episode is to first lay out a few concepts that we're going to be talking to and their most bare bones ideas. Because they are going to be necessary in this episode a little bit, or at least to understand that they exist. Then I'm going to move on as if you guys are kind of experts in it. And we're going to go into the company behind the leak. And then we're going to talk about the repercussions of it all. Okay, this all helps me. And Chelsea, I'm not going to ask you if you know what these things are. Because I think that's just going to add some confusion to the entire topic. Okay. (laughs) First and foremost, I think we need to just touch on the idea of what is a corporation. A corporation is a legal entity that is individual from all of its controlling parts. Those people exist outside of the corporation and the corporation exists with their involvement. Now, for a corporation to exist, it needs shareholders, and directors and just so that we understand there are many 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 different structures for a corporation i am just giving the most general overview i can for just the general idea of what constitutes these things okay for a corporation to exist it needs shareholders what who are shareholders shareholders are individuals who control at least one of what's considered the three rights of a shareholder And again, I'm not going to ask you to name them because I do not expect you to know these. The first and foremost is the right to vote at a shareholders meeting, which is how you appoint directors. That's really the biggest portion of that right. The second is a right to receive a share of the profit that is more commonly known as dividends of the corporation. And the third is to receive a share of the property of the corporation on its dissolution. Do you have any questions about that? I don't. I think so. Okay. I think that seems okay to me. Okay. And when you look at shareholder structures, you can see it split up in many different ways with those rights parsed out to different classes of shares. But all of those rights need to be dispersed to different shareholders or all shareholders. They all just need to be dispersed to shareholders. Generally, what you're going to see with a lot of smaller companies is there's just one type of shareholder. They all have the same rights. Okay. 
that first one there, the right to elect the director, leads us into the next part. What is a director? A director is somebody who is responsible for supervising the activities of the corporation and for making decisions regarding those activities. Generally, what this would flow into is an officer who is responsible for the day-to-day -day affairs of a corporation, but not all companies have both, particularly when you're at a smaller size corporation. What you're gonna run into is a lot of companies who have just directors, and especially when you have shell companies, you're just going to see directors, so we're gonna just leave officers out of this. There's just directors. In a nutshell, that is what a corporation is. It is a sum of parts, its own thing, made up of shareholders and directors. Okay. Next thing we're gonna talk about, what is a trust? And what this, is a trust? Yeah, that is that is what I'm gonna say. Okay, Good question, Chelsea. The trust is separating out two distinct types of ownerships of a thing, one being the legal ownership of it and one being the beneficial ownership of it and putting two separate people designated to each of those. Generally, what you're gonna see is you're gonna see a settlor a trustee and a beneficiary. This came into practice back in the days of the crusade when knights, noble as they were, wanted to go pillage the Middle East for noble causes and they needed to make sure that they could keep legal ownership of their land so they would transfer it over to somebody else who would give them the benefit of the land in the future. So Chelsea, you have a child. If I wanted to give your child money, I'm not gonna be around at that time but you are, I can say, Chelsea, I'm going to give you this $1,000 to hold mm -hmm. legally and to invest or do with what you will so that Knox can have it when he's 18. In a very vague, general way, we just created a trust. I was a settlor giving you the money to hold the legal ownership of until Knox reaches a okay. certain age okay. and he gets the benefit of it at the end. Okay. There are many, many, many different types of trusts out there. I personally hate them. Waters on Trust is a great place to look in Canada if you want to know more about trusts. I don't know why you would if you're listening to us. There you have it. Yeah, but that's the vaguest way to put it. Trusts, I'm going to move on from there. Monopoly laws in the US are called antitrust laws because somebody was using trusts so that he could own all of one industry without technically owning it all legally, but getting the benefit of it. I'd like to say that I'm wrapping my head around it, but I don't like- That's why, okay, I don't expect you to. Why would someone do that? So that they legally don't look like they run anything, but beneficially they do. They do. I mean, as a trust you would, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Okay, I, that... can, I can get that. It seems shady, but okay. I mean, yeah, and trusts aren't always shady. There's a whole bunch of different ways. There's land trusts out there that basically just buy land to return back to nature as they get more and more money put into it. That's the best one I can think of is okay. land trusts. Okay. Whole bunch of different rules depending on your jurisdiction. Talk to a lawyer. Again, like we always say, we do if you need one, we got one. <laughs> I'd like to ask more questions because I'm a little confused, but I assume it's going somewhere. You wouldn't just tell me this information and have it not mean well, anything in this episode. Yeah. And it, it is just the idea of how you can hold different okay. financial instruments in ways that can avoid taxes. Oh, that's where it's going. Okay. And I think that next point <laughs> I want to talk about before we get into this episode, what is a tax haven? Now, there are many different definitions of what you can find as a tax haven. The one I'm going to use for this episode is put forth by the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, which is better known as the OECD, basically a federation of countries who kind of just want better overall tax uh, planning and cooperation between nations. 
Okay. And how they define a tax haven is four factors go into it. One, it's a country or an area that has no or nominal tax on relevant income. Two, it lacks effective exchange of information with other regions. Three, it lacks transparency. And four, has no substantial activities. Now, maybe an easier way to think about this is a jurisdiction whose banking infrastructure primarily provides services to people or businesses who do not live there, requires little or no disclosure of information when doing business, and offers low taxes. Right so off the top of your head. these are geographical locations. Yeah, they always will be geographical locations. Although when you're actually talking about corporations in them, they don't actually take up any space per se. Hmm. They'll probably just be a mailbox that may in fact be five other corporations. Okay, yeah. Now, when we're talking about tax havens, does your mind go to certain areas or countries? Yeah, there's a few. There's a Caribbean island, I believe. I can't remember the name of it. There's also, is it the Isle of Man? Isle of Man is definitely one. Yeah, that's one that is within the UK's region that a lot of fancy, um, oh, what do you call them? Just basically the upper class of the UK uses. Yeah, there's one in the Caribbean. And that's just the one that comes right to mind immediately right now. But I've heard a few. Not that I okay. use any of them. Just saying the Caribbean is more or less correct, because basically if you throw a dart on a map of the Caribbean, you probably hit a, what was at some point a tax haven? Told an you. An offshore tax haven. The big ones that come to mind for me, British Virgin Islands, Cayman yeah. Islands, Been Bermuda, out. Turks and Caicos. Okay, so it's a, most of the Caribbean. It's pretty much most of the Caribbean. Yeah. And then, yeah, the Channel Islands between France and Britain. There's tons of them in there. They're scattered throughout Europe. They're scattered throughout the world. And we'll, we're going to talk about them eventually. Okay. Getting that out of the way, we're going to talk now about a, a small little law firm by the name of Mossack Fonseca, which started in Panama in the 1980s. It was a relationship between a Ramon Fonseca and Jorgen Mossack. They met while doing legal work for one of the Khashoggi's, Adnan Khashoggi. He's a Saudi arms dealer, part of the royal family in Saudi Arabia. While working together, they realized that Panama was an ideal place to market for opening companies, as at the time, Panamanian banks legally could not release information to the government about account holders. Okay. So if, let's say you're a Canadian or an American, and you have a million dollars, and you say, you know what, I don't want to pay taxes on this. I'm going to put this in a Panamanian bank. There's going to be a whole bunch of uh, shuffling around in between that start and end point. But we get that money to Panama and Canada or the U.S. at that point says, you know what? I got my suspicions that Chelsea has a bank account in Panama. The suspicions would be right. Yeah, they'd be very right. But when they go there and they say, we would like to know if you have any bank accounts, Panama, for Chelsea, they yeah. would say, well, we legally can't provide that information to you. Yeah, that's why I opened it there. Yeah. So anything that you put in that bank account, Canada or other countries are not going to know about. Therefore, any interest they may accrue, anything they might buy or ins and outs just are not going to be seen by outside jurisdictions. It's concerning, but good I mean, for me because my that's what I want in opening my bank account there. Yeah. And all, most importantly, the reason that they always say that people might do this is for the secrecy portion of it. So mm -hmm. that if your business activities might be not illegal, but just not something you want to draw attention to. Yeah, um, like if you're a murder for hire or something. 
Well, not necessarily that. I'm going to say, let's say you're actually a really big oil baron or a child of a big oil baron. And you get really big into environmentalism, but you don't want your name attached to it because then the media could smear that company oh. as taking money from an oil baron. Okay. Yeah. You can open up a Panamanian bank account and That's transfer That's a good money way to that. put it. Okay. That would be one of those very narrow reasons of secrecy that actually is good that you would want to keep the secrecy. Okay. Or let's say you're on the shit list of a dictator. They want to track you by finding out where your money is. Well, if you go to one of these jurisdictions, they can't legally find where your money is, so they can't find you. Okay, these are all really good examples. Or say you want to hire a hitman, something along those lines. That kind of bank account's what you want. Okay. But there are more than just illegal reasons that you may want to open a bank account here that is secret. Okay, so... Are you going to tell us about them? I did just tell you. More reasons. No, that's enough reasons for now, Dan. Okay, okay. I got it. Okay. They started Mossack Fonseco in Panama. But in 1986, there was turmoil in Panama and Mossack Fonseco decided they needed to start shopping for other districts. They're a law firm, so what they ended up doing was helping people incorporate companies in Panama so that they could attach them to Panamanian bank accounts and keep their secrecy. Now, they were big on never finding out who their actual clients were. Basically, a lawyer or an accountant would refer to them or ask them to open a corporation for them, never really asking who the final client was. So they were just letting like regular people like me have a corporation to open a bank account for? Yeah, basically, you would go to your accountant and they would probably recommend we need to open a corporation for you in this region for specific reasons. I okay. know a guy, I'll go get him to open us a corporation. They would just get you a numbered company or they could get you a specific name, but they would do that. They get the corporation for you. They okay. give you all these documents okay. from there. Yeah, as I do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, because of the turmoil in Panama, they decided they needed to find a few other districts to do business in or at least to incorporate companies in. And they had a few factors they were looking for. They wanted to offer incorporations with low or no taxes on foreign holdings, government-enforced secrecy, political stability, and low competition from other firms. Where that drew them to is the British Virgin Islands. Can I just ask quickly, I don't know if this is the spot, what is the draw for them to be opening a bank account? Like, what's the draw for these countries to allow them to do this? So, it is going to come up. Okay. But basically... Every country we're going to talk about as a tax haven is going to have a population well less than a million people mm. and is going to have no real resources that it sells out of its country. It doesn't necessarily have the means of making money. Nobody's really helped them out. So the small amount that they'll get from incorporating a company in their is country something. Okay. is something. We will get to it a little bit okay. just going forward. Okay. So, Mossack Fonseca landed on the British Virgin Islands because it had a double tax treaty with the U.S. which stopped money from being taxed in either jurisdiction. This did get rescinded in 1982, but the British Virgin Islands changed corporate rules to be more favorable to shareholders, and no public registry of directors and non-lawyers could create corporations so long as they held a general trust license with the British Virgin Islands. At this point, Mossack Fonseca started offering corporations they would incorporate and hold your books in bvis i'm just going to call them that because it's easier for me yep. to say for 750 dollars 
So you could go That's and it? get a company set up for seven hundred and fifty dollars, and this That's is the what big they thing. Made? Yeah, and annually they'd make about five hundred dollars. That's nothing. Yep. Okay. I know, and this is I find this very fascinating because Mossack Fonseca really was like what they consider the McDonald's of the offshore tax haven companies because they really kind of marketed themselves to like the everyday upper middle class and higher people because their their rates were downright cheap. Yeah. You could get into the industry for under a thousand And they probably just made a killing because it's like the McDonald's. So you like service a lot of people and like you don't charge very much, but you get a lot of people. So you get a lot oh, yeah. of money. Yeah. And by the end of this, Mossack Fonseco had offices in 50 different countries. And can we just, I can't remember, are we instructing people how to open offshore bank accounts? No, this is how you would have done it pre-2000. Okay, okay. I forgot. So if you, you happen to be listening to us prior to the advent of podcasts, then the by 2000s. all means, follow this advice. But they it's could really be. not I mean, worth we're it. all about that stuff. Time slips yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Sorry, I derailed you. Yeah, that's okay. At this point, they like could a offer McDonald's. Yeah, early to mid 1980s. They could offer Panamanian and BVI companies. If you opened up a company from British Virgin Islands, it was $750. And then this comes to the fun part for $100. Mossack Fonseca would put a director of the corporation in charge so that you didn't have to put your name on it. $100 annually. Mm. That's For a good deal. $45, you could get the director that they had appointed sign a document for you. Didn't matter what it was. They would just sign a document. $145. I feel like that's a steal of a deal. Yeah. Based like, on the quotes For I've everything you wanted it to sign. <laughs> and really, this would be somebody who lives on the island or works for Mossack Fonseco, who they just would appoint as a director of a ton of companies. And they just, their entire job all day would be signing their name. How do I get this job? You, you move a to a tax haven. And in 2021, I don't I think you could do in 2022. Is <laughs> what year is it? What kind of money are we speaking of in 2021 money? Again, we can't know because this all comes from leaks that are going to come okay. out later on. I yes, is this, this not was... sustainable anymore? But okay. there was so one individual that worked for I'm gonna go um, over like thousands of dollars now that people know about it because there's leaks yeah just to give you an idea one individual by the name of adelina mercedes chavaria de astribi was the director of twenty-seven thousand companies in the british virgin islands wow yeah what a resume and in fact they talk about this book and sorry i didn't make reference to it before this book is where you get a lot of this information it's called secrecy world by jake bernstein it is an excellent read on this topic. He actually does a really good job of lying out everything that's going on. And if you don't like to sit down for a read, this has been made into a movie. It's called The Laundromat, and it's on Netflix. Oh. And annual renewal fees for a corporation provided by Mossack at this point was $150. And to top it all off, at this time, Panama and the British Virgin Islands offered... I'm going to have to explain this idea. They offer the concept of a bearer share. Do you know what a bearer share is, Chelsea? I do not. I was going to okay. make something up, but I can't even. That's how much I don't know about it. Okay. Have you ever heard the idea of a bearer bond? No. Okay. Well, basically what both of these are is they don't list anybody on them. 
whoever is bearing it is the owner of it and therefore can claim ownership of it. So if I make a bond, then I'm the bearer. Yeah. A bond, a bond is very much so different than what you're thinking of. Okay. A bond. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Never mind. We're just going to stick to the bearer shares. A bearer share. Usually a shareholder needs to be named on a document so that we know who the shareholder is and they can extend their rights. Whoever happens to be holding a bearer share at that time is the shareholder. They are literally holding the share and therefore the shareholder. What that means is that it's really hard to identify who the owner of a share is, particularly when it is held in a safety deposit box by a lawyer and can be transferred very easily by selling the safety deposit box from one person to the other. Okay. So not only is it nearly impossible because these countries don't really release data, even if they did release data, nobody would know who that company is owned by. And importantly, you can easily transfer ownership from one person to the next without leaving a trail. Any I, questions about bearer shares? I don't, like probably, but I feel like okay. this is all just made up of loopholes. Yeah, these are specifically identified loopholes for countries that we're, we're going to get into that part, okay? I Essentially, anywhere there's going to be a loophole, people are going to find yeah. a loophole and take advantage yeah. of it, I guess. Okay, so in 1989, Mossack Fonseca added the Bahamas as a place that they could do business out of. And in 1994, they added the island nation of NIUE, which I believe is Nye but I don't know for sure. Where is it located? It is 1,500 miles northeast of New Zealand. N-I-U-E. Yeah. Okay. And they specifically drafted new incorporation laws, which allowed naming, uh, allowed... Oh, oh it sorry. looks beautiful. Yeah, it's sorry. really <laughs> tiny. Sorry, they allowed you to draft, they drafted new incorporation laws, which included allowing names in the registry to be written in Chinese characters and Russian alphabet. And Mossack Fonseca could turn out a corporation in an hour from start to finish. The corporate registry for this island nation of Nye, maybe is how you say it, was in the Mossack Fonseca office on the island. And all documents that went through the Mossack Fonseca office were already pre-signed by the deputy registrar of the island, who was also a Mossack Fonseca employee. They particularly set it up mm. with those naming practices so they could go after Chinese and Russian clients. I mean, I can't blame them at this point. They got a pretty good business going. And in 1994, this is just for, I should say, Along the way, that island nation, the international community told them they needed to change their corporate practices so that they could come into line with everything and they couldn't just be a tax haven. And they came to the international market and basically said, well, if we do that, you're going to have to replace the income we get every year from this. That's ballsy. And it's, it's hilarious the because same... they were they were only getting $1.5 million annually from it. Only 1.5. I mean, but it's an good. island of 4,000 people. To be blunt, that's a lot of money for an island that size. It is. And probably not enough for how many they were doing. This is the same law firm, right? Yeah. Yeah. They okay. set up an island. They set up an office on that island. Okay. Just wanted to make sure I was following yeah. this. And whenever I'm talking about a law firm in this episode, it's going to be Mossack Fonseca. Really? Yeah. Because we the find entire... out where they are today. Yeah. The entire league came from their office. Oh. 
1994, the British Virgin Islands had 136,112 companies, while SAC Fonseca accounted for 10% of those. And these corporate registries accounted for 50% of the British Virgin Islands revenue stream for that year. I mean, is that good for them and good for the country? Bad for what the intention of these people were opening bank accounts there for? But it's hilarious because in this Secrecy World by Jake Bernstein, he talks about the IRS going to the British Virgin Islands looking for a particular corporation. And they found the head office. It was a bar. They went and talked to the bartender and they're like, do you know anything about this this company? And he said, um, I don't know. Look through that stack of paper. And there's just a and stack of paper in front of the fax It was probably machine. all the people that these, like, there was probably like a billion different Yeah, and the bartender was like the director of a thousand companies. <laughs> I mean, I'm torn because that's what they had to do to make money as a small little island population. Yeah. But like people who are looking for it as tax havens are bad people, probably. Yeah. And just to sink a little lower, in 1995, what? you could create a foundation in Panama. It's something like a trust, but it was its own entity, but nobody owned it. And basically, you'd put your money into it. There'd be no owner. It wouldn't get taxed. And you would leave a beneficial owner that was usually a charity at the end when it, it dies out. But you would also, they would also leave directions with their lawyer to change it right before they died to their family members so it wasn't taxed. What? Can you do that? Most places you can't. Lawyer. This is all well outside of the realm of legal in Canada. My lawyer would do it. And the U.S. But there's, we're going to talk a little bit about it. the U.S. outside of this. I really hope your lawyer doesn't. Might. But Just kidding. They might. The 80s and 90s were crazy for this because like in 1997, the RERS attended what was called ShoreX in the UK. Okay. And it was basically a convention for offshoring your money. What? Yeah. It was a convention of all these different countries and also providers of incorporations on those countries, basically saying why you should incorporate on their islands to avoid taxes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Is this still a thing? It is not a thing anymore, at least as far as I could tell. And if it is, it's not called Shorex anymore. <laughs> That's hilarious. I feel like there'd be no benefit for a layman person like me. We don't make enough money to, to put my money into a offshore bank account. No, but what would happen basically is you open a corporation, transfer your money to that corporation who opens a bank account, puts all that money in it. And then you would get a credit card for that bank account or with that bank. And you would spend it all that way. And that way, all that income that you're spending never actually steps foot in your country. So you never have to worry about it. What? That was how it worked back in the day. So. And again, I am oversimplifying it, but more or less, that's what people were doing. And then they just not be responsible for that money? Not responsible for that taxes and their cars and houses would all be registered as owned by that corporation you owned in the British Virgin Islands. Okay. I mean, maybe there would be benefit to me in doing this. I got to talk no. to my lawyer. <laughs> Please don't do this because, again, this is based off of my my running this. through the history I'm of 20 years ago. I'm doing this on a ago. podcast. Okay. <laughs> got to talk to my lawyer. And funny enough, you think that when we're talking about offshore tax havens, we named them all that we think of off the top of our head. Yeah, I thought well, of Mosak Fonseca opened an office in Nevada in 2000. Because the U.S. has several tax havens for different purposes. One of them being Delaware. The other one, big one, being Nevada. It was more so for international individuals to have a corporation in the U.S. 
because it looks legit when it's an American corporation. Mm. But Nevada has very tricky corporation laws. And specifically, as long as a foreigner owning a corporation that's opened in Nevada didn't make any money in the US, there was no requirement at the time to report any financial activity within the US. Hold on. What? Yeah. It's kind of really tricky to think about. But if you have a corporation that you incorporated in Nevada that actually conducts no business within the U.S., you don't pay any federal or state That taxes. doesn't surprise me for some reason about Nevada. Yeah, but the big one is actually Delaware out of the states as a tax haven. That is weird. And the funny thing is, wherever there's a loophole like that, like people are going to find it. Yeah. This is a weird thing. Well, and it's funny that we're talking about this. And again, it's the small states. Nevada, yes, has Vegas. But outside of that, it's a fairly small state. It is, but look and at Vegas. And then Delaware, yeah. And then Vegas, Lots of stuff yeah. happens there. This and even Vegas is a really... Vegas is a really weird uh, state or it is. state uh, city in itself that it's we can talk about in another episode. Being because, that it is a yeah. city. <laughs> yes. And also because it's not really Vegas. But we can do that in another episode. In 2013, Mossack Fonseca charged $2,000 for a Nevada company. And $1,700. Yep. But again, because it's an American company, you're paying a little more for that uh, luxury and Mm. prestige. Yeah, that is luxurious. Nevada. And you're paying $1,775 for an annual upkeep. And I don't think they had the same rules for directorship. But again, at that time, they weren't saying they would disclose anything. So you don't necessarily need a separate director. Hmm. This next little bit is going to be jumping around just because I need to get in a few big points. After the terrorist attacks in 2001, there were big financial changes within the uh, Western world, mainly that you needed to now know your clients so that there were not funds going to and from terrorists, which was... What do you mean no? Like be in person? Not necessarily in person. You usually need to have identification from your client that would be accepted by your region. So in Canada, if you're going to be buying or selling a house or moving funds around, as a lawyer, I would need to take your a picture of your ID so that I could know who the client was. If it was a corporation, we'd need to know the director and we would need to get that identification from the director. You didn't need that before? Did not need that before okay. for a lot of regions. But this was, there was a big push in 2001 because of the risk of terrorism to know where funds were going and by whom. It's interesting and, it took terrorism. You would think that that would just be a... But okay, yeah. And Europe pushed the same rules around the same time, but that was only required if your client was an individual. If the client was a company, then you did not have to get that. So there was a big push when you opened a bank account, mm-hmm. particularly with big banks like HSBC, to also open up a corporation so that they could deal instead with the corporation than you and not have to follow those requirements. Mm. So most Swiss banks at that time, or I shouldn't say most, banks like HSBC operating out of Switzerland made very good relationships with Mossack Fonseca to say, before you open the Swiss bank account, put it through a corporation in Panama. Don't worry, I have a guy. And because they were sit there by the bank, Mossack Fonseca said, oh, the bank vetted them. So I don't have to worry about that. They didn't keep records. And then they'd send them back and the banks would say, oh, this corporation came to me. I don't need to keep records. Yeah, it got really messy. And 
Again, Switzerland also one type of tax haven in that they do not share financial information with other parties or who owns bank accounts there, except in very limited circumstances. There is this thing with Switzerland too, isn't there? Yeah, they are neutral for a reason because neutrality allows money to flow in no matter whose it is. Hmm. This relationship went well with Mossack Fonseca and HSBC until HSBC caught caught laundering money for drug cartels out of Latin America and had to pay a fine of $1.9 billion in 2012. HSBC. Yeah. No. So I did the best I could to kind of sum up the entirety of this relationship of Mossack Fonseca kind of getting around, finding different places to open offshore bank accounts and corporations so that they could hide everything. This is where it all comes to a point. Okay. Is Mossack Fonseca hiring? No, definitely are not. Are they still around? No. I okay. Like they'd pay well. Well, actually they didn't. Yeah, it didn't seem like they're because again, it's forty five dollars per signature, but that didn't all go to the signer. Okay, well that's out the window. Continue. <laughs> okay, this all comes to a head when a John Doe whistleblower contacts Bastian Overmeyer at a newspaper called Süddeutsche Zeitung (SZ for short) or mm-hmm. SZ for short, stating that he wished to remain anonymous and that his life may be in danger. And he stated that he had a particular amount of information on Mossack Fonseca that he wanted to leak to him. It ended up being 11.6 terabytes of information. Is that a lot? Your computer could probably hold 100 gigabytes, and there are 1,000 gigabytes in a terabyte. So 10 of your computers just filled to the brim, stacked on top of each other, is about one twelfth of all the information that would have been leaked. I would like to say, wow, that's a lot, but I actually have no idea. So okay. that's all it's a lot. It's a real lot. I believe you that it's a lot. I just can't picture in my head how much that is, but that seems like a lot. In a May 6th. 2016 document dump, John Doe cited income inequality as the reason for the actions and said the documents he was leaking were simply because I understood enough about their contents to realize the scale of the injustice that they described. So he is just leaking the information because he's upset that people are getting away with this? Yeah, it's not that it was illegal. It's the whole idea that this just shouldn't be happening is why he leaked all this information. Good for him. Uh, To this day... Nobody knows who John Doe is. Good for him. That is a very noble thing. Yeah, to do. and it turns out that Mossack Fonseca actually just had really terrible cybersecurity in that their entire like storage facilities were both front facing and intranet facing. It was the exact same place. So if you just hacked their website, you got access to everything. What? Nobody has yeah. First of all, okay, I first of all, I believe it due to the kind of setup that they had going from even what you described to me. And yeah. I'm not a hacker or anything, but that's a little bit hilarious that that's how they got taken down. Okay, I'm intrigued. Not yeah. that I wasn't before, but So nobody knows who John Doe was, but he did state, I shouldn't say he, but he identified himself as John Doe. But for the base of it, at least his persona, I'm going to identify him as male. He had never worked for any government or intelligence agency and expressed willingness to help prosecutors if granted immunity from prosecution. Oh, so he was taking part in it. He would have, but... If he um, wanted immunity. Yeah, if they wanted to, like countries could contact him or at least they, he would help. But as far as I can tell, nobody ever reached out to him because nobody had a way to. And nobody ever openly like stated in the media that they wished to talk to him. Once SZ 
got the dump of documents, they realized that it was way more than they could deal with themselves. And even if they could deal with it themselves, it dealt with international affairs. Therefore, they felt the best way to deal with this was to go to the ICIJ. It's the International Consortium of Independent Journalists. Basically, it's a bunch of people from around the world who are journalists who have said that we need to work together for bigger affairs that need to be brought forth. Because everything's so international these days, we can't just rely on national papers or regional papers or regional yeah. journalists for that matter. No, you can't. We need to work together to get that. Yeah. And this ended up being a concerted effort of 107 media organizations in 80 countries analyzing the documents. After a year of analysis, the first news stories were published on April 3rd, 2016, along with 150 of the documents themselves that had been leaked to the media. Okay. The ICIJ helped organize the research and documents review once SZ realized the scale of the work required to validate the authenticity of the, sorry, I said 11.6, it's 2.6 terabytes of leaked data. That's they enlisted reporters and resources from media such as The Guardian, which I'm sure you've heard of, BBC, mm -hmm. Le Monde, which is the world paper in France, Sontag Zeitung, which is a competing newspaper in Germany, Falter La Nation, German broadcasters NDR and WDR, Austrian broadcaster ORF, and eventually many others. Ultimately, they had 25 different languages working on these documents to investigate individuals and organizations associated with Mossack Monseco. Wow. And this is kind of what this ends up coming to from this ICIJ report. On April 3rd, 2016, media reports received the leaked documents of 11.5 million leaked files to expose the offshore holdings of current and former world leaders and more than 100 other politicians and public officials across the globe. In total, 214,488 offshore entities connected to people in more than 200 countries and territories, 21 outposts in the offshore system from Nevada to the British Virgin Islands to Singapore were exposed. <laughs> now, from that, many of these were done for tax avoidance purposes. Or sorry, tax evasion, I should say. Tax avoidance is technically a legal thing that you can do to avoid paying taxes, not illegally avoid paying taxes. From there, I think the next place to go is some of the people that were identified in it. So this yeah. is my personal favorite. I am going to share my screen for a second here. Who is it? This is it's, the... It's not me, is it? Yeah, it is you. Don't you remember this interview? Oh no, I totally forgot. <laughs> Sometimes I can't remember my affairs that I get caught up in. He immediately ran away. Oh no, what an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> like they tried to get you him to sit think... down again. He stopped doing it in English and he's basically saying like, you tricked me into this and I'm going to run away now. Oh my Lord. Wow. You would think after all that time, he would have had something like hat, like in his back pocket in case he was ever asked. Yeah, you would think. But yeah, it's hilarious. And they get him to sit down eventually again, but he refuses to answer any questions on that. And he basically says this is a gotcha moment. And I actually looked into this guy a little bit. Where did I put it? And it's actually quite sad. Mm. After the Panama Papers oh, revelations, for a second, it's gone. Uh, Sigmund Davith was interviewed on April 26th by the Swedish television station SVTS, SVT's investigative program, Updrag Gronsnig. Hmm. 
The interviewer told Sigmund Davith that the interview would focus on Iceland's recovery after its financial crisis. During the interview, Sigmunder Davith said it was very important for everyone to pay a fair share into society and that paying less than one's share constituted cheating society. When the interviewer asked if he had any connections to a foreign company, he replied that his financial assets have always been reported transparently. That is what you heard. When asked specifically about his connections to Wintrists, a foreign company and a creditor of failed Icelandic banks. He said he had disclosed all requested information to the government and was unsure how the transactions actually worked. He then said that the interviewer was making something suspicious out of nothing and walked out of the interview. He and his wife both made public statements about the journalist's encroachment in their private lives and insisted their disclosures were complete. It's much less embarrassing when it's written down. It seems so much more official than what Mm -hmm. I just listened to. News coverage of the release of the Panama Papers revealed that he and his wife shared ownership of interests, bought to invest his wife's inheritance, and also that Sigmund Davith had failed to disclose his 50% share when he entered the parliament. In 2009, eight months later, he sold his shares of the company to his wife for $1. The day before the new law took effect that would require him to disclose his ownership as a conflict of interest. Oh my god. In 2015, he entered into an agreement with the creditor of failed Icelandic banks, including his wife, according to RUV, Winthrus Inc. has registered a claim of ISK $174 million, about $1.37 million American, as bondholder against the asset of the bankrupt estate of Landsbanki, and it is claiming a total of 515 Icelandic kroners, about £3 million, between the three failed Icelandic banks, them being Landsbanki, Glitnir, and Kopthorn. These banks had a total business volume nine times larger than Icelandic's gross domestic product. That was a huge fail in 2008 for them. Yeah. Then the fallout from all this coming out, which is I find hilarious and kind of sad. Following the Panama Papers revolutions, there were widespread calls for Sigmunder to resign, and former Prime Minister of Iceland, Johan Sigurd, I can't say those letters, was among those making it. Sigmundur said he would not resign. He apologized for his behavior during the interview, however, saying that he should not have left. And under growing pressure with large anti-government protests in front of the parliament, Sigmundur eventually decided to dissolve parliament and he refused, noting that he was asked to dissolve parliament, but he refused, noting he was not ready to agree to dissolve parliament until he had discussed this with the leaders of other parties of their stand. Hmm. On April 5th of 2016, Sigmunder decided that he would step aside as prime minister. It seemed like a fairly prominent thing to be doing until the leak. Yeah. Where it like came out and everyone was like, oh my God, people are doing this? Obviously, yeah, and that's the, the whole working thing. class it, who couldn't it, afford to be doing it. Exactly. It was the upper middle class and above who were actually able to do this. So you didn't yeah. actually need that much money to get and involved And it seemed fairly it. common to be yeah. doing, especially for lawyers that were doing it for pretty much nothing and anyone yeah. would refer you there. And I thought, oh, good. This guy kind of like the things going on with Icelandic banking in the early 2000s was absolutely mm. ridiculous. And he made money off that. So he should. It sounds like face it. Consequences and I know that. vaguely of Icelandic banking and there's something there with it now. They seem to be very, you know what? I'm not even going to talk about it. Yeah, because I, I, I would advise against that. But yeah. I thought that was great. But let's go on a little bit because it, it, it goes a little crazy. 
So since Sigmunder has resigned as prime minister, he left his party chairmanship. He has repeatedly asserted that he was the victim of a global conspiracy to bring him down. Mm. He has also implied that George Soros and other banking elites conspired against him. And yeah. in 2017, Sigmunder said that there had been a hostile takeover of his party and that the current leadership of the party no longer reflects the will of the majority of the party members. Mm. In March of 2017, Sigmunder further alleged that the SVT interview was falsified and that the interviewers had practiced how to confuse him as much as they could. Yeah. In September of 2017, after the announcement of a snap election, Sigmunder stated in an open letter on his website that he was seeking to form a new political party before the 2017 Icelandic parliamentary election. His new party, the Center Party, has been described as populist, quote unquote. This party finished fifth in the 2017 parliamentary elections, with seven candidates, including Sigmunder, being elected to the Althing, which apparently is their parliament. It received 10.9% of the vote. In December of 2018, a leaked recording captured four center party members, including Sigmunder mocking a disabled woman and other women using denigrating and sexually charged language. What the crap? He is still working in parliament. And even in 2020, he characterized. In 2020, he characterized the Black Lives Matter movement as racist and compared that year's Black Lives Matter protests in the United States to the Cultural Revolution in China. Wow. Yeah. Big words. And sorry, it's kind of off topic, but once I read what his life was after this, I had to share that. Yeah. No, you did. Thank you for sharing that. But let's go back and focus on Mossack Fonseca for a second. Okay. In response to the queries from media figures such as Miami Herald and the ICIJ, Mossack Fonseca issued a 2,900-word statement after the leaks listing legal requirements that prevent using offshore companies for tax avoidance and total anonymity, such as the FATF protocols, which require identifying ultimate beneficial owners of all companies before opening any account or transaction of any business. And the Miami Herald printed the statement with an editor's note that said the statement did not address any of the specific due diligence failings uncovered by the reporters. On Monday, April 4th, Mossack Fonseca released another statement. The facts are these. While we may have been the victim of a data breach, nothing we've seen in this illegally obtained cache of documents suggests we've done anything illegal. And that's very much in keeping with the global reputation we've built over the past 40 years of doing business the right way. Co-founder Ramon Fonseca Mora told CNN that the reports were false full of inaccuracies and that parties in many of the circumstances cited by the ICIJ are not and have never been clients of Mossack Fonseca. The firm provided longer statements to the ICIJ and in its official statement on it, Mossack Fonseca suggested responsibility for any legal violations might lie with other institutions. Approximately 90% of her clientele is prized of professional clients who act as intermediaries and are regulated in the jurisdiction of their business. These clients are obliged to perform due diligence on their clients in accordance with the KYC and AML regulations to which they are subject. In an interview with Bloomberg, Jorgen Mosak said, the cat's out of the bag, so now we have to deal with the aftermath. He said the leak was not an inside job and that the company had been hacked by servers based abroad. It filed a complaint with the Panama Attorney General. On April 7th, 2016, Mosak resigned from Panama's Council on Foreign Relations. 
even though he was not officially serving at the time, and his brother Peter Mosak still serves as honorary consul of Panama as he has since 2010. On May 5th, 2016, Mossack Fonseca sent a cease and desist letter to the ICIJ in an attempt to stop the ICIJ from releasing the leaked documents from the Panama Papers scandal. Despite this, the ICIJ leaked the documents anyway on May 9th, 2016. In March of 2018, Mossack Fonseca announced it would close down due to damages caused by this papers leak. And <laughs> sorry, this is just to talk about the movie a little bit. In October of 2019, The Laundromat, a movie based on the events of the Panama Papers, was released on the streaming service of Netflix. But prior to this, Mossack and Fonseca both issued a lawsuit in an aims to prevent the release, citing defamation and potential damage to their rights of a fair trial by jury should one begin. On July 17, 2019, the judge based in Connecticut refused to get the injunction citing lack of jurisdiction and ordered the case be transferred to L.A. The company dissolved as of 2018. The lawyers did face three months in prison, but that was it in Panama. They've also been called for arrest in many other jurisdictions, but they don't, don't live there. So it hasn't really come up a whole mm. lot. So what's um, been, what are they doing now? As far as I know, they're not practicing anymore. They made enough money during their lives that they don't have to worry about it. Probably they're just retired, living a fine life in Nevada, probably. Probably. Mm -hmm. But a few other names that came up in the Panama Papers we should talk about. Emma Watson actually came up in them. Really? Probably the most famous person to come up in them. Her official stance, she owned a company called Falling Leaves Limited out of the BVI. She stated that she needed it for anonymity purposes, and Watson created the company in the BVIs for the sole purpose of protecting her anonymity and safety, mm. the representative had said on her behalf. UK mm. companies are required to publicly publish details of their shareholders and therefore do not give her the necessary anonymity required to protect her personal safety. Interesting. The spokesman said Watson received no monetary advantages from the offshore company. Really? Yeah, but that's what they say. It's hard to really say what happened. Well, that's a lie because it's offshore. I mean, not necessarily. You can still pay taxes on offshore accounts. And that's okay. probably a part where who I else? should have explained more. <laughs> who else? You know, Just tell me who else. Like, I don't want to know more. Those that out of names you would actually know, like those are the names you would know. Okay. It's Emma Watson. And it's for the most part, like I said, Mossack Fonseca offered a McDonald's order of offshore corporations so it wasn't okay. necessarily all the rich and famous like there are a ton of chinese yeah. and russians that are named who are very close to both putin and xi jinping but not necessarily pertinent to any conversation we're having right now because yeah i'm sure you can name are. a million names that i would have no idea who they were yeah even from a canadian point of view i looked it up and there's no real names that you would recognize on the list i don't know how many canadian names i know other than my yeah friends. that's fair that's very fair. Is there a Paulson? There there might be a Paulson. You can actually go on the ICIJ website and you can search from all the leaks they've received. <gasps> Control F. For No, you just Paulson. type in that name that you're looking for and they'll say if it's associated with any companies. Yeah, it's so <gasps> I should try it. Unfortunately, like it's from a North American standpoint, it's actually doesn't reveal a lot. And a lot of that has to do with, especially in the US, the fact that they have on in region tax havens that you can use and not really have to worry about. Yeah. And also that this was more of a blue collar, <laughs> kind of a weird way to say it, a blue collar rich person's incorporation place. Well, yeah, it makes sense. But all in all, 
from day one of the Panama Papers, governments around the world trace whatever previously hidden dollars, euros, and yens they could, and countries have recouped to date $1.36 billion in unpaid taxes, fines, and penalties as a result of inquiries sparked by the Panama Papers, according to ICIJ's latest tally. The government of Panama, which initially denounced the Panama Papers as a campaign to distort the facts and tarnish the reputation of the country, ultimately signed a multilateral convention to share foreign taxpayers' information with other nations. New Zealand also tightened its trust laws to prevent further abuse of foreigners attracted by the country's once pristine reputation. And since then, the number of so-called foreign trusts in New Zealand have plummeted by 75%. And the last thing I really wanted to talk about when we're talking about this, well, there's two things. As a Canadian, we haven't done great. The CRA, the Canadian Review Agency, basically the IRS of Canada, has to April 3rd, 2021, brought 35 cases of tax dodging to the courts and over five years has collected $21 million in unpaid taxes. Wow. Just to give you an idea of what one region has done. That's crazy. I also did find out while doing some research, Canada's favorite tax haven as of 2016 was the Bahamas. It's a nice place. I think the biggest thing to take from this, first off, is that we really started to see what people were holding offshores, or at least how many people were holding offshores, which is just a ridiculous amount of people. Second is that people weren't only holding corporations in offshore areas for tax avoidance purposes, but also for secrecy purposes for the strict reason of getting bribes. When you looked at it from a North American point of view, it was a tax avoidance thing. But for the rest of the world, it was actually strictly to get bribes. Yeah. Because you don't have to bribe that person directly. You put it in a bank account that nobody knows about and you're good. And while the ICIJ, which did this mass thing, and this was the biggest to date um, event that they had to deal with. Since then, there have been two bigger ones, but uh, it really showed that internationally, the journalists actually can work together and crack these cases. But there was one casualty from this. Like it was dangerous. They're, you're uncovering a lot of fairly dangerous people's money. Mm. A lot of people who worked on this worked anonymously. And when journalists were publishing their articles in their region, were either posting them anonymously or posting them under a pseudonym. I read stories of Russian journalists who were working on this who would always ensure and still to this day that they never walk to work or go to work the same way every day so that they can't be just tracked down on their way to and from the office. When you hear about the Panama Papers, I've seen this a couple times, people say that the journalist behind the leak who was investigating it was murdered, which is technically true in a sense that one of the journalists that worked on this out of the 107 publications that did was killed. And mm -hmm. it, it was a woman by the name of Daphne Caruana Galizia out of Malta. And she was killed by a car bomb on October 16th of 2017. Mm. Uh, her most recent revelations pointed the finger at Malta's prime minister, Joseph Muscat, and two of his closest aides linking the three men with the sale of Maltese passports and payments from the government of Azerbaijan. Well, you also have to think, but not only are these the upper middle class that have a lot of money that they don't want to pay taxes on, it's also probably like mafia. Yeah, and a lot of these were particularly because Malta was part of the European Union. So if mm. you get a Maltese passport, you could get a passport for European Union. And all they mm. say is you need to invest X amount of dollars in our country. And they took bribes as funds for those. So that's crazy. That's yeah, kinda... money does a lot of talking. Yeah. Um, so there's probably I mean, you're doing shady business to begin with. 
and probably a lot more than 50% was shady business to begin with. Yeah, that's the end of my Panama Papers talk. I do think it is important to know about. It is. And I actually had this is no really idea our, about yeah. the Panama Papers. This was our first like look into offshore holdings. Yeah, and I didn't know anything about it. Okay, I did just want to talk a bit. So the OECD for a long time was they were keeping a list of basically what they considered tax havens. And that was those four criteria, but they stopped doing it because they just felt that countries were behaving good enough or at least were going in the right direction that they didn't have to anymore. But I just want to talk a bit about like tax havens that you probably don't know about at this yeah. point. So can I just ask a cool question? Yeah, let's do at this point any questions you may have. Okay, I do have a question. Out of your research, which is the best island to have my account opened up on for a tax haven? That you'll probably have to talk to your financial service provider. Okay. As a Canadian, the fallback answer is the Bahamas because <laughs> I do believe that RBC has a branch there. <gasps> what? Yeah, they yeah. actually come up a lot in the uh, Panama Papers. Okay. I bank there, so I'll be asking questions to mm -hmm. Victor. Okay. And Tupac is at Scotiabank. I'm okay. just going to shout him out right now. Good work, Scotiabank, because you are not named there. That's my banker. Yeah, and I do believe <laughs> offshoring money has seen a decline in the last couple of years, but they saw like the biggest year for Canadians investing in offshore bank accounts and corporations was 2016, where they put $24 billion in offshore accounts. Well, it seems to me that it continues on because not to be a spoiler alert. And sorry, I, I keep episodes, saying Bahamas. It's, been... I need to correct this really quick. Okay, Barbados. That, I can see your search. Barbados is where <laughs> Canadians were putting their money. Also a very nice travel destination, but not a spoiler alert for future episodes, but I believe that this continues to be a problem. It does, but in different ways, which is why the, both the Paradise Papers and the Pandora Papers took place. Okay. And we will talk about those at future dates. No, it's interesting, and I'm glad we're doing an episode on it because I didn't really understand it and I never really looked into it because it's just kind of over my head in understanding yeah. this kind of well, stuff. And that's that whole idea of if it's money that somebody's going to make either way that you don't have to do that much, it's always going to be a race to the bottom. And that's why specifically countries that are so small decided that they can absolutely go to the bottom and not even tax these people. They can just take $500 from them a year. Well, I mean, if they have no other things that they can make money off of, I mean, yeah, exactly. what are they going to do? You can't really blame them for it. Yeah. They're not at fault. I, no, I and, and we're not going to help them outside of that. No, no, no. I don't think they're at fault at all. I think it's more the people putting money there that are at fault because, I mean, they have no other way, no other means. That's just my view. I just co-host on a podcast, so. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think you quite understand the complexities. I you know not. it's complex. I, you know I it's will, complex. I will just straight out, <laughs> flat out. Everybody knows it, probably listening to us. Yeah. I do um, <laughs> But here's a fun question. Chelsea, okay. how many countries are fully within the country of Italy? Two. Which ones? Italy and the Vatican. Actually, Italy is not fully within Italy. Pardon me. So one. You, oh, first off, Italy is fully not within Italy, so it doesn't count. Okay. Second so off, there's one within, within Italy. Within Italy, there are two countries that are at least fully autonomous states. One being the Vatican, the other one being the great nation of. Sis Sicily? No, it is San Marino. No, 
That's not a country. It is a well, it is a microstate within Italy near Rimini. What? And it is a tax haven. Oh, what? I've never heard of that one. And I say Italy does not count as within Italy fully because there is the great nation of Campione, which is a semi-autonomous state of Italy within Switzerland. What? Yeah. Also a like tax haven. On a map? Yep. What? This is the great nation of Campione. Campione to Italy, right here. No. There's Italy. This is fully within Switzerland. I mean, that doesn't surprise me. Switzerland is weird. But these are the smaller tax havens that you never hear about. Weird. Just north of Milan into Switzerland. Just within Europe, you have Campione, you have San Marino, Liechtenstein, Monaco for France. Everything um, you know about Monaco. Andorra Why are there in so Spain, many? British Gibraltar in Spain, Jersey Island in Great Britain. Guernsey. So these are all places you don't have to pay taxes. Not necessarily don't pay taxes, just pay lower taxes and don't necessarily have to report certain things. All of these are very small regions that just, they make all of their taxes off of other people not wanting to pay taxes. So they can charge like a fewer amount, really. Yeah. Luxembourg? Yeah, Luxembourg is definitely one of them. Belgium? Belgium, for different reasons, we'll talk about that at a later date. Okay. And Ireland. Ireland is the one that's huge. Because what? You know Ireland? That... Oh, yeah. Did you know Apple is based out of Ireland? No. There's many big corporations that are based out of Ireland because for a long time they had incredibly low tax rates. And in fact, a big problem that Apple was running into, they have 200 plus billion dollars sitting in a bank account that they can't repatriate and they don't know what to do with. Oh. So all they do is invest it in places. Weird. I, yeah. Another another plus for corporations, I guess, in my books. Yeah. What's happening in the meantime, this is all being investigated right now. Since the Panama Papers released, there have been international movements to ensure everything's at least getting taxed where it's made. Canada passed the general anti-avoidance rules in the CRA to make sure that people aren't overly avoiding taxes in very strange ways that we couldn't think of. They don't really work from what I hear from tax lawyers, but at the same time, at least they were passed. We can talk just, separately outside of this about the actual like schemes that I know about, but um, I don't feel really like they're worth getting It frustrates me, these people who are making larger amounts of money, because like I said earlier, like it's not gonna benefit me any to go in an offshore account to not pay taxes, really. And all these, it's more upper class people who are paying to go offshore accounts who are paying a minimal amount not to pay taxes, which is going to benefit them more than not paying taxes. And they're the ones that should be paying all the taxes. Like they make so much more money than me and I'm probably paying more money than them in taxes. And like the biggest corporations in the US, like this is not even offshoring, the biggest corporations in the US, 60 biggest, um, didn't pay any money in taxes last year. Yeah, like seriously, like. But that's not like even an, that's not even an like, offshore problem. That's just a problem in general. We need. To talk it is about. a huge problem. Like yeah. we should be taxing the rich. And like they should. They seriously. should be paying their fair share, which I yeah. we can get into it in another time. But hard to talk about because I know people who fall into this category. But like even your labor is taxed at the highest rate of anything which is really weird to say. Mine. The income tax, your yeah. income is taxed at the highest rate. I pay rate a lot of, of tax. Not necessarily you're in the highest tax rate, 
But I'm just saying that like capital gains are below what income is in taxable rates. Yeah. And and that's what Warren Buffett always says is he pays less in taxes than his assistant. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, he the doesn't rich do should it. be paying more taxes and they make more money than me. They should be paying more money than me in paying taxes. And that's not saying I make more money. I pay more in taxes. No. Like, and and yeah, that's that I've whole thing. That. Like, sure, they're not doing this now. Like, Mossack Fonseca got found out. So they're not necessarily following that scheme anymore. But there are schemes that are used by the likes of Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk to avoid paying taxes. They don't have any income. They just leverage their stocks that they have and turn those into loans. So they actually have negative income. Because, yeah, they got interest on their loans they got to pay off. It's pretty sickening. The richest people in the world pay no taxes. And that's the thing about corporations, I guess. And it just keeps adding up. I mean, all these people just create corporations that don't do anything that they can just. Yeah. And let's face it. Sorry. I'm if you've come for pro corporation talk, you're you're <laughs> in the wrong place. If you want to hear pro cooperative talk, then yes, we will do that at some point. But the workers need to own their means of production. Yeah, I agree with that. In, um, in some sort of means of that way. Of the people it. who are benefiting off of it and making tons of money can pay their fair share. And fuck off. <laughs> yeah, they really can. I mean, Elon Musk is portrayed to make into the trillions of dollars. He makes trillions of dollars. He can pay a million or two in taxes and it's not going to yeah. hurt him at all. Sorry, we got a little sidetracked. would like to bring it just a little back. Okay. What's being done to mitigate this? There's always been tax treaties between countries so that they can share information and make sure everybody's getting paid their fair share. These have been expanded since then to make sure that countries like the Cayman Islands would never sign these so that they didn't have any reason to share that information. Yeah. That was used sense. against them for a while, so they did start to expand what they would do. But at the same time, people thought that was negative because people would just use these countries to avoid taxes and then repatriate the money for nothing. Yeah. So it's a bit of a catch-22 in that region. But here's a list of Canada's tax treaties, countries they have them with. So these are the ones that they currently have them with. These are the so ones that are signed. If they were to register an account there, they would know. If we were doing an audit and we saw that they had an account there, we could say we need all the information on this person. That's not that much. It's 94 countries. That's not that much. No. And I found this hilarious. Treaties that are currently being negotiated. San Marino. Huh. This the is... great Italian country of San Marino. <laughs> I'm very actually surprised by that number of that's a very small amount of countries that well and that's that whole thing if you want to avoid canada finding out about where your stuff is you don't necessarily go right to that country you go to one of these countries that canada has a tax treaty with and then register from there in one of those countries that they have a tax treaty with but canada does not oh so that Canada can't go that's, directly to that. I mean, that's still a small amount of countries. Yeah. And I'm just looking. Okay, Sweden is on there. No, you were no, I'm about looking Sweden? for Switzerland. Switzerland. Switzerland's on, on there, there too. It is on but there. Switzerland has very stringent rules as well about what they can and can't release. Yeah. Okay, Switzerland. So just so you know, just because it's on Whatever this list doesn't mean that they will have a full release of information both ways. And then the last thing I wanted to talk about is Janet Yellen, who is the secretary treasurer, I believe, of the U.S. right now. Yeah, Janet. Although she has some bad hiccups in her career, 
she has proposed a universal minimum 15% corporate tax rate. So as to ensure that everybody's at least getting taxed at one rate and there is not a search for the bottom, which has pushed everybody out there. So since April, why is that not a thing? Because there's been no reason for it. And especially why would the Bahamas or anybody in the Caribbean agree to that? If that just means that they would lose income. I guess so. So that's that hard part of it being that. That is hard. Okay. Yeah. So there are steps being taken right now to come to a conclusion where we can avoid having tax havens, at least in certain areas. Um, I personally would suggest a proletariat uprising, but we're not quite there yet. We're not. We love Walmart too much. We love Walmart too much and Walmart as the Waltons, not, not the workers. Yeah, that's so true. The workers deserve to own it and they deserve to have a living wage. They do, yeah. That's what I'm willing to fight on. So if anybody wants to fight me on that, we can talk. We can, I mean, I think that's one journey to the fringe is willing to fight on. (laughs) So don't email us. Yeah. So right now, yeah, that's where we stand. Uh, That was the Panama Papers. Steps have been taken, despite what you may have heard. Some things have come from it. Not a lot, nowhere near uh, what it, it should be. It doesn't sound like a lot has come from but it. But it's both hard to say. Like, on the one hand, it's only been five years. Not everything is going to come that fast. But at the same time, most countries have tax restrictions that stop their jurisdiction at seven years. So we're coming close to a point where they can't actually do anything more about it. But also at the same time, there are two other papers we still need to talk about. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Those are future episodes. Yeah. And uh, eventually we got around to it. Series. Yeah. (laughs) Journey to the fringe style. If you happen to know of a great scheme for tax avoidance offshores, please send us an email at journey to the fringe at gmail.com. We have been journey to the fringe. We're going to go back into some topics that we need to get around to for we have not next week before we get into the Christmas spirit. So prepare yourself for oddities before you prepare yourself for Christmas Christmas season. The Noels, the Carols, the Hallelujahs, and the baby (laughs) Jesus. Hey, Zeus. (laughs) Oh, inside jokes. In the meantime, (laughs) I have been Taylor here with Chelsea talking about the Panama Papers. You are now well informed. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Journey to the Fringe. If you have liked what you have listened to, please like, share, subscribe, or follow, depending on what venue you are listening to us through. Also, please, if possible, leave a five-star review as that really helps us in the algorithms. Should you wish to interact with us, please check us out on your social media of choice. I bet you we are there. And if you really want to communicate with us and give us ideas for new episodes or tell us that we're wrong and terrible, either way, please send us an email at journeytothefringe at gmail.com. For now, I'll see you in the next episode. Uh